used every ounce of strength I could to break this robot. But she couldn't. He simply moved her at his will. And she played the part, the part of a puppet. Then she said, I saw something forming. He was trying to form something in me, or out of me, or by me. But something was forming, and it seemed to be formed out of hot, liquid glass. Well, you know, the intensity of heat that it would take to reduce glass to a liquid state. And then I noticed that the form of a man took shape, and it came out of the top of my head. The head was perfect, perfectly formed, but the rest was still a mass, not yet formed. I would say to her, it was perfectly formed. Don't expect below the head to find anything you're going to find below the head in the form you now wear. I said the form is complete. When you saw the head come out of your head. Now in Jeremiah we are told, the last verse of the 30th chapter, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his mind. In the latter days you will understand it. Then going to the next chapter, the 31st, and we are told that the Lord has done a great thing on the earth. A man is compassed by a woman. This is translated as he's turned a woman into a man. The return of the virgin Israel, his own emanation to himself, the Lord, Jehovah. At the very end, if anyone is to blame, it is only God. As told in the book of Job, in the very end of all the trials, all the horrors through which he was put, and then his friends came and he comforted him, all his friends, and comforted Job for the horror, for the evil that the Lord God had brought upon him. For this body you put it through hell, may I tell you. But you put it through to learn certain lessons, for we are told the law is spiritual, but man does not know the law is spiritual until he has gone through all these fires of experience. And then he discovers that it is spiritual. And in the end, when the whole thing unfolds within him, then the law becomes so easy for him to operate. But not until the end. For we are told God has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. He has consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. Here is a simple story. A boy born in poverty, born in Odessa, Russia, in a Jewish family who knew nothing 
of, well, a full meal. At the tender age, he was the oldest of a family of five. And at a very tender age, his mother died, leaving just a few babies. And then he was then maybe, I will say, ten. He had to work to support the family. His father was a worker, but could not bring in enough to feed the family. He never knew what it was to have a new pair of shoes, a new pair of pants, a new shirt, a new hat. Everything was given by charity. And these gifts were not new things. They were simply hand-me-downs, what people had passed on. And so when he wore out the burlap shoe, then he could go back and get another pair of things to wrap his foot in cold Russia. He got a job going to the bank every day with large denominations in paper, and they would be exchanged for silver and copper. And so when he came back, he had the equal amount of money this time in silver and copper. And one day, standing before the teller, the cashier, he noticed that the copper and the silver had a similar external markings. They looked alike. And he wondered to himself, wouldn't it be wonderful if he made a mistake? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that cashier made a mistake and gave me silver instead of copper? At that moment, he assumed that the cashier did. And in his mind's eye, he took the things and then walked back to the store. He knew the cashier had not done it, but he simply wiped it out and played a little game. And he walked back feeling that the cashier had made the mistake. And he wondered, now what would I do? I would go into a restaurant and eat for the first time in my life where I feel satisfied. I will eat until it comes through my ears. Then I'll buy a pair of shoes. And then I'll buy a pair of slacks. He knew that it would, it would cover that much. But he got back to the store. The man hadn't made a mistake, but he had the joy of walking in that assumption. The next day, the man made that mistake. And he realized it the minute the man made the mistake. So he went to another bank and changed the money into the right amount, that he could take back the right amount to the store, leaving him this money over. And with that extra money, he said, I wrestled all day, or rather all day with myself, and that night I went to bed, I could hardly sleep. I wrestled and wrestled with myself because that was in conflict with what my dead mother had taught me. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Yet, the next day, my hunger and my desire to have a new pair of shoes and a new pair of pants overpowered what I heard from my mother. And I ate until it came through, not my ears, but until I was stuffed. Then I bought myself a pair of slacks and I bought myself a pair of shoes. Well, who did it? If law had not come into the world, I would never have known sin. If the law did not say, you shall not covet, I would not know what it is to covet. And yet he who was guiding me consigned me to disobedience. 
So here is the lady, laid like a puppet by this current that she could not control. It controlled her, forming out of her and in her that which could perfectly reflect itself. The story of Christ, until Christ be formed in you. For we are told Christ reflects the glory of God and is the express image of his person. Well, who is forming the master? The word translated master means the supreme authority, the controller, God, the Lord. That's what it means. So when they use the word master, you look it up and see it means the supreme authority, the Lord, God, the controller. So the controller is in control of every life in the world. That controller is God. And you are consigned to disobedience that he may have mercy upon you. So you find yourself, as he did, hungry and embarrassed because of the rags that he wore. And he learned that law was spiritual. So he rose from that state as a little impoverished Jewish boy in Odessa, in Russia. And after the revolution, he found himself, because the war came to an end, among the soldiers who left Russia and made their way into France. And so when he died at the age of 77, on Good Friday, this past Good Friday, he could leave an estate that runs into millions. He learned the law. He learned that the law is spiritual. And as he told me himself, he never took a man to court for an unpaid bill. He would sit at his desk when all the employees left and he would write out a letter thanking them for their checks. He never mailed it, but he would get himself into that mood and thank them for the check that they had sent. And he said within a matter of days, never in excess of a week, but quite often within two, three days, a check came check came to him in payment of an unpaid bill that was long overdue. So he said, I never once had to lose a friend, for I cannot remain in business and lose customers. And so I never had to uh, done a customer. I learned the law. I learned that these assumptions, though denied by my senses, if I really believed them and put all my faith in the assumption, it would become a reality. And so I lived by it long before I met you, Neville, long before I ever heard of you. I heard of you only through my wife. She heard of you and heard the law, and we sort of struck it off together when we met in Paris. But long before I met her or met you, I proved this law when I was a poor little boy in Russia. And I began to live by it. And so I had never once to command to court to get back monies that I had advanced in the form of merchandise, never. And so when he died at the right age of 77, died quite suddenly of a heart attack, well, 
he could prove when Paul's words were right. And he didn't know Paul, for he was born and raised in the Jewish faith. And I doubted that he ever read the New Testament. So when Paul makes the statement in the seventh chapter of Romans that the law is spiritual, when he makes that bold statement that if it were not for the law, I never should have known sin. I should not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. So God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all. And just as the lady resisted, but could not really resist, she was guided in a certain direction against her will, and she had to go. For that something within her is master, and is putting you through the furnaces. How long, how vast, how severe the furnaces, ere you find the Father, were long to tell. And the Father is the Master. That's the being that you really are. And you, the thing that you see here, is but an emanation of that Master. And no one knows the background of that servant, for this is the servant. So I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So he is called the servant, but in the end he is called the son. He actually now has returned and become one, but standing before him is the one that he put through all the places. So it is David in the 51st Psalm when Nathan the prophet goes in unto him and reminds him what he did when he went in unto Bathsheba. He sent Bathsheba's husband into battle in the hope and knowledge that he would be killed and then he would get Bathsheba. And so Nathan goes and tells him. And then the words of David, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight. And yet, who did it? I only did your will. You gave me, by this law that you gave me, the desire to covet. I never would have known what it is to covet had not the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And so you made me sin. So God consigned me to sin by putting upon me a burden that I could not in this flesh resist. So, who are you, he asks, to pass judgment on the servant of another? He stands before his own master, or he falls before his own master. But he will be upheld, for the master is able to stand him up. And so everyone in the world has gone through hell, may I tell you. If they haven't, they're going to go through it. If they're not going through it now. And you have lost, you have five senses, you have lost everyone at some time. But everyone. And in the end, you will be the one spoken of in the gospel who has the power 
to forgive sin. When he comes, he comes only at the end of the journey. Christ comes once at the end. That's when he comes. And when he comes, he comes in the most marvelous, mysterious way. And that's the one to whom he comes, for he was the master all along. And when he comes, he lets the one in whom he now rises experience who he is. And you experience Christ in the first person singular, present tense experience. In this world, we can know a thing mentally by comparing it to other things, analyzing it, dissecting it. But we know a thing spiritually only by becoming it. You will never in eternity know Christ until you become Christ. And Christ comes at the end, the very end. So when he comes, all right, you know exactly who he is. And you forgive every being for what he has done and what he's doing or what he may be compelled to do. For he moves under compulsion, everyone. You have stolen and you've sat in judgment on the thief. You have been blind as he said, Master, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? He said, neither the man nor his parents, but that the works of God be made manifest. Don't blame him, as all people do. He is blind, all right, but blind from birth. The question would imply that the one who asked the question believed in reincarnation. But he does not accept that theory. Who's seen this man? He's born from birth. Born blind. Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? That's the story in the ninth of John. And he answered, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God be made manifest. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so he takes the son, takes you, it's called the servant, and puts him through hell. As she said, what fires it must have taken to take glass and turn it into a molten state. It was hot, liquid glass formed into a man. And it came out of the top of my head. And the face was that of a man. It was complete. That's the word perfect, complete. But the body was not, because the body is not going to be like this body. It's going to be that glorious body of which I spoke time and again, where it moves up like the seraphim, that fiery, fiery serpent. The face, yes, is human, the voice human, the hands human, but do not ask about the body. That's something entirely different. So she saw correctly. And she has already gone through the furnaces. Or she could not have seen that crystal clear state. That's so clear that it can reflect the glory of God. Were it not made in that form, it couldn't reflect the glory of God. The imagery is perfect. It not only reflects it, it radiates it. Because he becomes one 
with the one who put him through the furnaces. And so when she reads tonight, I hope she will, that statement in the 31st, this great thing that God has done on earth, that a woman compasses a man, a woman has turned into a man, that that which was the radiation of Jehovah, called in scripture the virgin Israel, now returns and is Jehovah himself. That the emanation, yet my wife, is still now myself. So here it returns and the two become one. But the father suffered with the radiation. So let no one tell you that what you have done, you should be remorseful about it and dwell upon it. May I tell you, you're learning the law and learning that the law is spiritual. It's not observing other things like washing my hands before meals and lighting candles on a certain day and saying grace and doing all these things that people do outwardly. It's what you do inwardly. What am I doing this very moment, at every moment of time? Am I judging people by their outward forms, their social position, their intellectual position, their financial position? Or am I asking of them one question, what do you want? And although it may seem the most impossible request, you grant it. Or that's testing yourself now to exercise this power. Or in granting it, you're forgiving all sin for they've been missing the mark. To sin is to miss the mark in life. And so the ultimate goal is the formation of that being that can radiate and reflect the glory of God. That's the end. That's telos, the end. And it means perfect, complete, finished. That you may say, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Now return unto me the glory that is mine the glory that I had with thee before that the world was. Yes, I gave it up as the Son of God and took upon myself this garment and became a servant, a slave, and was crucified upon this garment called the cross and made myself of no reputation and became obedient unto death, even death on this cross. I went through all the horrors of the world and he called me then his servant. But in the end, when I've completed the work that I came to do, the cross is taken off and I rise. And I am the very being, for I rose from being the son to that of the father. But because I am father, there still must be a son to bear witness to my fatherhood. And he stands before me and he's David. The sum total of all of my human experiences. But this time glorified, he doesn't miss anything. His eyes are perfect, as you're told in the book of Samuel. Beautiful eyes, fair complexion. Everything about him is perfect. You could not improve on the beauty of David. Not a thing is missing when you look upon him and see your son. And you certainly put him through the paces. You tore his eyes out when he was born blind. You took from him the capacity to speak 
took from him the capacity to hear. All these things you took, and he had to obey them, just as this lady had to obey this simple current pulled by a man. A man was directing it. And it started off with these enormous instruments that plows up a mountain and removes a mountain. That's how the vision began. And so you saw them removing mountains. You've seen them making highways where they go through an entire area, a forest, and in no time it's simply level. Then you make a highway. Or they're making a highway in her, but have made it. For the end justified all the horrors that she has gone through. For that was only showing her in vision, in lovely imagery, what she has gone through. She has been ploughed and ploughed and ploughed and suffered and suffered. But something lovely was coming out and coming out of her own skull when a woman is turned into a man. And now she goes back and she's one with the father. So when you see anyone in the world and you are going through, don't analyze yourself and ask, what have I done that is wrong? What have I done that is wrong? Well, go to Scripture and find out. He consigned me to disobedience. So if I disobeyed the law, it is he. And who is he? My own wonderful Lord. And who is that Lord? My imagination. That is the Father. That is the Lord. That is the Master. And so I've obeyed him every moment of time. And when he took me up as a boy and shipped me 2,000 miles away, unschooled, without any friends, any relatives to receive me, because the drive was so intense and the urge to go, I had to get going. And when I was fired from one job, and then always fired from the other, when I quit, and with that intense desire to do something that was different, it was he who was guiding me all along. It was he who took me to London when I really wasn't qualified to do it. And then in London to find a man, a retired engineer, who liked the psychic world and introduced me to this way of thinking. That was just a little spark. It was all there. He only had to put the spark to it. So when I came back, I was living, living in the second-hand bookstores in New York City. When I could afford a book, I'd buy a book. When I travel as a dancer, I travel with my library. When the others played cards through the day to kill the time between shows, for we did three and four shows a day, I was reading my books. And when they did, went out after the show at night doing certain things, I would take my books. And I built my library that way. When I could ill afford to buy a book, that's where I spent my money. So I tell you, everyone is playing the part that the master has determined. And we think that we are so completely free in this world. We aren't free until the end. Not until the very end, when the sun sets us free. For if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. But not until the end. And so, as we pass along, we are discarding the errors and holding on to the truth and discarding more errors and holding on to the truth. For in the end, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life.
There is no other way. I have told you exactly how it's going to happen. There is no other way. There is an morning's paper that some publicity agent is inclined to persuade those who read it that there's another way. And they call it by all these different isms. There is no other way. In the very end, you're going to find who you are. And when you find him, you are the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord God Jehovah. And then will come that inevitable moment when that end is reached that you take off the garment. And you are one with eternity. And all those who preceded you are not greater than you because they preceded you. You're all one. One brotherhood. And that one brotherhood forms the one God and Father of all. So who are you, asked Paul, in his 14th chapter, the fourth verse of Romans? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And his master is able to make him stand. He will be held upright, and in the end, he will all be forgiven. So tonight, I say to my friend who wrote the letter that I got today, congratulations. And if the vision seemed wild at times, I rejoice. Put them down for me and send them, no matter how they come. They all make sense to me, I tell you. Your letter was one shared joy today. And your daughter's letter was shared joy too. That has tremendous significance. She has seen me in the row. And when this monstrous thing appeared and was just about to bite you, my face appeared. And she told you in the letter, told me at least, it was not the monster's face, it was your face. And then the whole thing vanished. Whenever he appears, it will put an end to all the nonsense. For I have gone through it, my dear. Gone through everything that I have told you. I am not speculating. I am not theorizing. And so I will say to anyone tonight who is passing through great sorrow, the Master is doing it. The Master has come. Will you not now, conscious of the law, it's because you are not yet ready for it. But you've been made conscious of the law. And unless you are conscious of the law, you can't violate law. There could be no sin in the world unless there was law. Because sin is simply falling short of a mark. If you didn't have a mark in this world, if death meant nothing to you, thou shalt not kill would mean nothing. If you accept the commandments, well then, violation of them is sinning. But no violation, if you haven't the law, how can you violate what you do not have as a mark? If you have no goal in this world, how can you miss it? If you have no objective, how could you miss it? But you have an objective. And those who are here, they have the greatest objective, the end. That end is to be Christ. Not to serve Christ, that's not good enough. But to be Christ. You'll never know him in any other way other than being Christ. You do not know love in the true sense of the word until you actually incorporate it into the body of love. Then you are love. 
Well, we have glimpses of it by being in love. How else could a man know love unless he's in love? You can talk about it, all these things, but one must be in love to know love. But the extreme of love is when one is incorporated into the body of love. Then you can't describe that joy. You can't describe that love. Only an experience of God in the form of love could ever describe it to the individual who has it. But how is he going to tell it to convey that same experience to another? He can't do it. But he can encourage others. And they will simply believe him, if they believe him at all, and he will go blindly on telling all, those who believe and those who do not believe. Until that moment in time when he returns to the body of love. And take up his place where? He knew. For in the end there's only one, one father of all. So tonight, if you have the time, be that 14th and the 7th. In fact, it's all in Romans, really. When he takes the first eight chapters and lays the foundation. But the 7th, I quoted quite a bit from the 7th tonight. And you will find that he forgives everyone. For he who would rub out the people of the way then became the greatest, I would say, promotion agent of the way. The lady also said she heard in her vision the same Paul. And she was Paul, but Paul spoke of himself as woman woman turning into a man. I tell you, in the resurrection, you are above the organization of sex. You're neither male nor female. You're neither born nor free. You are Christ, and Christ is God. Until that moment comes, you still are the servant of that master who is leading you as it led her. And the day will come, it will form itself in you, Christ will form, that he may radiate you, for you are the master, and reflect you. And when that moment comes, then you return, and you are one with the master, who is the Lord Jehovah. It seems beyond the wildest dream of man. But may I tell you, it is true. So don't condemn anyone. Leave them alone. When they're suffering, let your heart go out and express mercy. For you've gone through it or else you will go through it. For not one will come out until he is perfect as his father is perfect. And the Father had to go through every experience of man to be perfect. And you're going to go through, or you have gone through, and I dare say you have gone through. That's why you're here. All the experiences of humanity. And in the end, you are God the Father. 
Now let us go into the silence.